1: The music of our prelude this morning included organ music by Reiko oda our organist, and of the bell choir recorded previously that Reiko leads. But she's not with us this Sunday, and so we have some sad news to share to explain her absence. We learned this last week that on Saturday, a week ago, Robert Lane, Reiko Odalene's husband, father to their three daughters, grandfather, son-in-law, friend, colleague, passed away suddenly from a heart attack. The family was spending time in Santa Cruz together when it happened. Bob was beloved here by so many who've come to know him over the years. Cards for the family can be sent to the church and will be delivered to Reiko and her family when they're ready will extinguish a candle on our altar this morning for him. And secondly, we heard this week from the children of Elizabeth W. Jones that she passed away on February 15th at the age of 93. Elizabeth was known and loved here. A memorial service is going to be held for her on March 26th in Portland, Maine. We'll send more information about how to reach out to the family and for those who want to participate in the memorial service remotely. We'll extinguish a candle for her. Both of these lives were light to the world, a light that can never be extinguished in those of us who knew and loved them, who love them still. They will be greatly missed and mourned. If this is your first time joining us at the First Unitarian Universal Society of San Francisco. Welcome, I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister. I'm here with Carmen Barsodi, our worship associate, and Mark Sumner, our music director, and the cast of people who have made many of the worship services possible over the last couple of years. Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong on camera, Jonathan Silk, Handling our live stream and sound and Joe Chapeau ready to answer questions on chat if you want to know how to get connected or what else you need to be able to participate fully. We have our Sexton's Remigio Flood and Kelvin Jones who readied the building and Judy Payne made these glorious flowers possible as members of the flower team have and we have Lots of beautiful musicians ready to grace us with their song. Richard Fay, who's our soloist this morning. Braille Marina Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gould. Ellen Biggs will be featured in a recording later, Michelle Kennedy. And as my dad would say, God willing, and the creek don't rise. This may well be the last service that we do like this, I mean live stream will continue as it was happening beforehand, but the last service we do with a largely empty sanctuary, those of you creating sanctuaries where you live, where you find yourselves this morning. So I want us all, we'll applaud to thank all of those who've made this possible, but I want us to just take a deep breath right now. I hope and expect that someday we're gonna look back and remember just how bravely, just how joyfully, just how proudly we weathered this time, how we stuck together, how we <clears throat> stayed connected despite all the barriers, how we held one another as best we could through live stream in parks, wherever we could find and meet each other safely, hold one another, that we held our health and the health of others to the utmost standards as we made hard decisions and were to blame, I think, for no loss of life, that we carried this whole institution through to the next chapter of its life as every era has had people who have carried it through through hard times because hard times come in every era how this space has ached for you, and you have ached for this space, and what happens here, the magic alchemy of religious life and community, and how we will soon be together. So breathe in, my friends, the struggle and the endurance and the courage we have shown I'm sure we'll be asked to share more and hold more. And breathe out the love and joy and tendrils of a new beginning. As we light our candle, this candle, oh, there's a little fly up here. <laughs> oh. We light this candle that we've lit since the beginning of pandemic to bring all of us in spirit into this space until we're together again. And let's sing together our opening hymn. It's in your order of service. It's number 44. We sing of golden mornings.
0: stately forest trees we sing of flashing sunshine of life bestowing rain of birds among the branches and springtime come again we sing the heart courageous of you We sing of hope undaunted, of friendly ways and kind. We sing the roses waiting beneath the deep-piled snows. We sing the earth's great splendor, whose beauty round us glows.
2: Good morning. Please join me in reading the words of our chalice lighting. They can be found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together
1: again if this is your first time joining us welcome I encourage you if you haven't already to download the order of service so that you can follow along sing the hymns say the words we say together as you feel comfortable and moved to if you want to get uh, want to get the order of service and the links to our service our live stream version in our up- coming weekly announcements please fill out the connections form and that will help us to stay in touch and get you what you need and please feel welcome to join our zoom coffee hour which takes place after service we have a lot of opportunities every single week to deepen your spiritual life or to get connected or to find ways to serve so As always, I invite folks to peruse the various offerings that are coming up, many of which are listed in the order of service. An intro to paganism, our morning meditation, which has carried so many people through these months, our black, indigenous, and people of color color gathering that happens the first Sunday of every month before worship, so it will happen next week. Next week, by the way, we hope that We will get clearance, which we expect for everybody to be back here together. So definitely read your email and definitely plan your Sunday a little differently. I did want to note just a couple things that are coming up in particular. One is that this Sunday after church at one, our forum has two speakers coming. It's co-sponsored by our forum and our human rights working group two speakers as we start to look at how to retell a more accurate full version of american history which is part of our charge as our eighth principle work calls us forward as a community and so at one o'clock you'll see we have paul Maggid, who will be speaking about the doctrine of discovery and at two o'clock judge angela robinson will be speaking on critical race theory which as many of you know is being outlawed something that can't be taught in many parts of the country find out why if you don't already know and at least come and participate in this discussion it looks like a fantastic program the last of our to serve with love conversations which will be with hannah clement's Hart, is going to happen tomorrow night at seven o'clock so look through the order of service I did want to note too that today, the folks from the Winter Shelter are packing up the sleeping pads and some of the materials they brought for the last four weeks that we've hosted the Winter Shelter for, I don't know, the 33rd year, 32nd, that we missed a year during COVID when it was shut down. Huge gratitude to our facilities folks for welcoming and coordinating with the shelter staff Huge gratitude to all the volunteers who came in at 5 a.m. to cook and serve breakfast and huge, huge and some dinners. And huge, huge gratitude to Hannah Hart and Ben Baer and Gordon Sherfinski who coordinated those meals, who served as head chefs, who made sure we had food on hand to cook them who hosted outside groups into our kitchen so that they knew how to function. It was an astounding act of service they coordinated, and we thank them all until we can thank you all in person here. Our offering this morning, so you know, is going to go to Faith in Action, a local network that does the work of justice and protecting humanity in our city and calls us as people of faith to stand with them. We'll be giving them donations to support their work. They have been constant throughout COVID, especially in protecting people's rights to housing, which has been important, and also getting them food and relief, which we have supported so that they could reach the folks who needed that, where they lived and worked. If you want to see pleasure activism at work, go to a faith in action event or rally if you haven't. There is always music and food and connection and a sense that when we serve and heal the world, we do it out of the deep joy and celebration of being connected and in community and powerful together. So our offering will go to them today. Those are our announcements, our invitations for the morning. And so I'd invite you now to Settle yourself wherever you find yourself to breathe deep, to sing and enter into song if you feel moved to as you feel moved to as we join in our meditation on breathing. Welcome to worship.
3: When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, <laughs> I breathe in peace. When I breathe out. <laughs> When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe
1: out love. Please join me, if you will, saying the words of the promises that we make to each other, the promises of the heart, our covenant. They're printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another.
2: This time we do the ritual of remembrance, recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the struggle at our borders and all the realities in our nation that speak of a disregard for human life that reflects the xenophobia, racism, and greed that threads throughout our nation's history. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days, bearing witness to this deep ongoing spiritual tear in the fabric of our shared lives. We ring our gong additionally, once for the losses to COVID-19 this year, 58,841 lost their lives to COVID around the world this week. 10,712 in the United States alone. For all those lives cut short, those nations struggling with a surge as we ourselves see relief, and all those working to tend to the sick and preserve life we ring our gong. Finally this day, we ring the gong once for the people of Ukraine, for the Ukrainians around the world watching their land of origin under attack, for all global citizens who mourn the threat of war, the unnecessary losses and instability and affront to our values of mutual respect and justice that it represents. In solidarity with the people of Russia who find a front with the acts of their leader, we ring our gong once in grief, in anger, in hope for peaceful resolution. And so may we keep those we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week however we can.
1: Spirit of life, the one beyond naming and knowing, mystery beyond understanding. What complicated times we live in still. Masks lifting off our faces, mouths and noses, noses and smiles revealed in full sunlight travel bands lifting and families reuniting, and plans being made and dinner parties resuming and most of all the fear and weariness just beginning to subside. And the hope of its receding back like a tide that returns forever to the oceans of time. And then war. A demagogue bored by the ravages of pandemic. An ego in need of frontline drama, the exercise of power insensate to the pain of another or suffering. all to fill some strange and evil need without surfeit. Just when our bracing spirits could release and begin again, perhaps, to trust, just when we could ask the joy to return to the party no protective gear necessary, this. Help us. Whatever we individually call out to in dark nights or uncertain times, in despair or frustration, or wondering again about the future we create and will inherit, help us. Help us to know how to move forward through this time in ways that are wise and compassionate and courageous. Help us all the world round to live without unnecessary loss. Someday making calculations based only on the sacrality of life. Help us. Guide us. In the spirit of invitation, I invite us to offer one another and ourselves the gift of shared silence. Space for each of us for what needs to be heard and to be held in this hour. For all that is our lives, all we hold and wrestle with, we ask a blessing and a way through with grace and courage. Amen.
0: I think to myself what a wonderful world I see skies of blue and clouds of white bright blessed day dark sacred night passing by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I see them grow. They'll learn much more.
2: Pleasure is not a word I have used often for very many contexts, let alone for activism. Even as I typed the word for this reflection, I realized there was a little tinge of, I'm not sure, wrong, undeserving, shameful. Now typing the word sacrifice, I felt a familiar energy field around the heart, a kind of warmth and a feeling of love. Sacrifice was about giving of myself, about putting another's needs before my own, even suffering a little for the well-being of another. It was a bit startling to recognize that feeling or seeking a sense of pleasure or at least using the word, seemed like it was leading to a kind of self-indulgence. In 1997, I was living and working in Nicaragua, and I came up to Berkeley for a sabbatical and worked with Raissa Landman, who Kay Jorgensen used to describe as a Jewish Sufi mystic therapist. I was 35 and I felt compelled to do some inner work to address some things that I kept tripping on and over in my life. After a month or two of working with Resa, I had a dream where I came upon the statue of the Virgin Mary standing outside a church. It was covered in green mildew. In the dream, I reached out, and I scraped some of the mildew off with my finger, and I tasted it. I expected it to be bitter, but instead it was surprisingly sweet tasting. When I shared this dream with Resalea, she reflected back to me that my expectation of taking this time and doing this work on myself was going to be a bitter journey, but rather it was sweet. Maybe I can even say, a longed for sweet tasting pleasure. As I think about the dream, it wasn't the work of wanting to clean off the mildew that strikes me, as much as the fact that it was grown over a statue of the Virgin Mary. The image, held up to me as a Catholic woman that I was to emulate. Pure, chaste, obedient, immaculate, self-sacrificing and faithful. Mary was the faithful mother of Jesus and she immaculately conceived him without sin or pleasure. And later, around the 1800s, the church declared a new doctrine that Mary, too, was conceived without sin. And then, of course, comes the doctrine that we were all born into original sin and we needed to be baptized in order to drive out this sin and become a child of God. We were taught how Mary was faithful and accompanied Jesus in his life and to his death, and he was crucified for his activism, for his challenging the religious and civic systems that really were rooted in sin. We were to give our life for Jesus as he gave his life for us. Fasting and prayer and even beating one's body Was encouraged. I don't want to dismiss all the teachings that gave form and foundation to my life, but maybe to adjust the lighting a little. For it was the parables and stories of the Judeo Christian scriptures that grounded my life to work for a more just world. Love your neighbor as yourself do justice, love tenderly, and walk humbly. Work so that all may have life and have it to the full. Mary too inspired me, a woman who did say yes to life, a woman who bore a great deal, who had a vision of her son being a revolutionary who would as she sang in the Magnificat, topple the mighty from their thrones, or who would satisfy the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. A woman who recognized her son's gifts and encouraged and supported him in what he felt he needed to do. I do value and believe in using my life force for the well-being of others and I also value and believe that we need to be alive and fully full of love in the struggle. I feel the words of Che Guevara who said, at the risk of seeming ridiculous, let me say that the true revolutionary is guided by great feelings of love. It is impossible to think of a genuine revolutionary lacking this quality. When I first saw this quote while eating taquitos in the cafe in Nicaragua, I wrote it down and for more than 30 years have kept it on my desk or on my altar. Vanessa. I'm grateful for the opportunity to reflect on pleasure as a part of activism. It actually helped me recognize that I've been a bit, maybe even a lot out of balance in not acknowledging the place, even the requirement of pleasure and joy in the everyday challenging, justice-seeking work that we do. I am joyfully reminded that what so often inspired me while living in the barrios of Nicaragua and inspire me now living in the Tenderloin community is seeing people who are living the devastating consequences of racism, inequality, greed-centered capitalism, turn up the music loud and dance with pure pleasure.
0: A poem by Robert Louis Stevenson, set to music by Ralph Vaughan Williams. Bright is the ring of words when the right man rings them. Fair the fall of songs when the singer sings them. Still they are caroled and said, on wings they are carried. After the singer is dead and the maker buried. Low Low as the singer lies in the field of heather, Songs of his fashion bring the swains together, and when the west is red with the sunset ember, the lover lingers and sings, and the maid remembers. Right is the ring of words when the right man rings them, May the fall of songs when the singer sings them still they are carried and said on wings they are carried after the singer is dead and the maid The singer lies in the field of heather. Songs of his fashion bring the swains together. And when the west is red with a sunset.
2: Our reading this morning is from Audrey Lord's essay: "Uses of the Erotic: The Erotic as power." The erotic functions for me in several ways and the first is in providing the power which comes from sharing deeply any pursuit with another person. The sharing of joy, whether physical, emotional, psychic or intellectual, forms a bridge between the sharers which can be the basis for understanding much of what, not is, what is not shared between them and lessens the threat of their difference. Another important way in which the erotic connection functions is the open and fearless underlining of my capacity for joy. In the way my body stretches to music and opens into response hearkening to its deepest deepest rhythms, so every level upon which I sense also opens to the erotically satisfying experience, whether it is dancing, building a bookcase, writing a poem, examining an idea. The self-connection shared is a measure of joy, which I know I myself to be capable of feeling a reminder of my capacity for feeling and that deep and irreplaceable knowledge of our capacity for joy comes to demand from all my life that it be lived with the knowledge that such satisfaction is possible this is one reason why the erotic is so feared and so often relegated to the bedroom alone when it is recognized at all. For once we begin to feel deeply all the aspects of our lives, we begin to demand from ourselves and from our life pursuits that they feel in accordance with that joy which we know ourselves to be capable of our erotic knowledge empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing us to evaluate those aspects honestly in terms of their relative meaning within our lives. And this is a grave responsibility projected from within each of us not to settle for the convenient the shoddy, the conventionally expected, nor the merely safe. Here ends our reading.
0: Another poem by Robert Louis Stevenson, also set by Vaughan Williams from the song cycle Songs of Travel. Let beauty awake. Let beauty awake in the morn from the beautiful dreams. Beauty awake from rest. Let beauty awake for beauty's sake in the hour when the birds awake in the break and the stars are bright in the west. Let beauty awake in the eve from the slumber of day, awake in the crimson eve, and the day's dusk end when the shades ascend. Let her wake to the kiss of a tender friend to render again and receive Let beauty awake in the morn from beautiful dreams. Beauty awake from rest. Let beauty awake for beauty's sake. In the hour when the birds awake in the break. And the stars are bright. from the slumber of day, awake in the crimson eve. In the day's dusk end, when the shades ascend, let her wake to the kiss of a tender friend, to render again.
1: The minister's book group books are always something that I want to read, never something that I have read, which is to say that they are surprises to me too. In last month's book, Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown, was a surprise, at least in part. Brown is well known for her book Emergent Strategies, which by my read offers a philosophy for how to be in the world and be in the work of transformation that's invitational and exciting. I wanted to read Pleasure Activism because I thought it would be about how to be in activism and justice work and how in a way that was pleasurable and with an eye toward that being sustainable because it's pleasurable. And I wanted to know how to make it so since so much depends on that work being sustainable. The book though, by my read, focused mostly on the pleasure piece. There were chapters on nipples and sex work, families that are sex positive with their kids, lots of talk of orgasm and relationships, and lots of body positive exploration of self and others. Besides initially wondering whether my book club participants would think I had lost my mind, I was actually more confused about when and how we were going to get to where I thought she was going to take us, as interesting as all the chapters were. And mostly I thought the book was mismarketed. Mostly, I think the pleasure activism Brown was writing about was about being an activist for our own pleasure and one another's. It is also, though, about how revolutionary that way of living is for us, separately and together. Brown, a queer black woman, is in a lineage of women, especially queer black women, who have staked pleasure as a territory not to be surrendered, but claimed and celebrated. Foremost among them is Audre Lorde, who described herself as, quote, a black lesbian mother warrior poet, and whose collection of essays Sister Outsider has, among its famous and much repeated and studied essays, the one Brown reaches back to, and that we heard from today in the reading, uses of the erotic, the erotic as power. Lord, it turns out, graduated from the same high school I did, something I think I knew once but had forgotten, and then attended Hunter College and later Columbia working as a librarian, but always from the age of eight on a poet and as sister outsider makes clear also a powerful essayist. The uses of the erotic, as those who have read it know, and as you've heard in the reading today an example of, it's not an essay about sexuality or sexual power, though that is present in what it's talking about also. Lord casts the erotic as something much bigger, much broader, and more encompassing than the yes and the wow and the earth-shaking joy of fully expressed sexual exploration and union. She saw the erotic as a force, and experience that once we were in touch with would heal and insist and enliven us to extraordinary lives that would make for a more extraordinary world. Lord sees the erotic as a resource. Within women, she focuses mostly on women, maybe because In women, it has long been vilified and abused and devalued. And that women have, she fears, and Brown agrees, come falsely to believe that our strength exists in our suppression of these parts of ourselves, alienation from our feelings or our needs, and what is, in fact, in all of us, a life force that is a superpower, you might say. And it's not just about sexual liberation and satisfaction, though it does tie back to that and to all that empowers a life that is liberated to its own sexual satisfaction. The erotic, when it's something we're connected to, though, Lord thinks, pivots to this much bigger knowing The erotic, she writes, quote, is an internal sense of satisfaction to which once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. For having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power, in honor and self-respect, we can require no less of ourselves. She continues, it's never easy to demand the most from ourselves, from our lives, from our work. But to connect to the feeling of being fully alive in what we're engaged to, to ache, you might say, for satisfaction because we've gotten in touch with it as she points out that being in touch with deep satisfaction and aliveness becomes this measure by which, against which, we hold up all of our engagements. And it's a standard that is no external standard of judgment and not one that any external standard of judgment can supplant. It's a freedom to our own aliveness, to the beauty and the power of feeling satisfied That's the power of the erotic writ large. Our erotic knowledge, she writes, empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing us to evaluate those aspects honestly in terms of their own relative meaning within our lives, And this is a grave responsibility projected from within each of us, not to settle for the shoddy, the conventionally expected, nor the merely safe. And as you heard this morning, she says we can find it, whether dancing, building a bookcase, writing a poem, examining an idea, It is this, I think, this notion of the erotic, as Lord paints it big and full, that prompts Adrian Marie Brown to dive deep into what it means to reconnect to pleasure. Pleasure as this way to reconnect with body and emotion and spirit and relationship and earth in ways that reconnect to that larger erotic that Lord describes. Brown's book, then, one read of it is this gathering from other readers and people living deeply and fully in the world of this journey toward and in and with the pleasurable that we're told to be suspect, suspect of wanting. But Lord tells us we need to know intimately All week long, I've been singing songs. It happens to me sometimes when I'm thinking deeply about something. I start singing songs, and then only as I realize what I'm singing do I realize it's connected to this topic I'm sitting with. So I found myself singing lines from Janet Jackson's Pleasure Principle all week. I knew I'd been singing it out loud because last night when my husband went out to walk the dog, I heard him singing it, and I know he wouldn't have thought of Janet Jackson's Pleasure Principle unless I was putting the earworm in his ear. And all week after last week's amazing service on Sondheim, I kept humming the Sondheim song, Being Alive, Being Alive. It's that one you remember that Bobby sings when... He doesn't want somebody at first to hold him too close or to know him too well. When he's throwing up clear boundaries that keep him cut off for the interconnection between people but also stands for the cut-offness he has from the depths and demands and yearnings of his own self, I think. And then in the end, sings a desire for that connection as part of being alive fully alive. It's that cut off from the part of the self that Mary Oliver the poet calls the soft animal of your body in the poem where she tells us to let it love what it loves. We all know what it means to be cut off from the soft animal of our bodies, to be cut off from the depths of our feelings, to shut down the unwelcome whispers and nudgings and needs that we can feel rumbling inside to make them unwelcome. Things we sometimes feel in the tightness of our chest or that melancholy ache in our belly, all the ways these needs and wants try to speak to us. In fact, in our unpacking together of our anti-racism, anti-oppressive work, I'm beginning to see or sense just what the threads of interlocking oppressions, but also interlocking systems that perpetuate the harm to ourselves and others look like, and part of this interlocking system I'm increasingly convinced is everything that would have us shut down in these ways become insensate, stop feeling all the things that Lord and Brown write about? Shutting down has never served our spirits or bodies or the planet or the wholeness, morality, and progress of the self and the collective well. Shut down your attention to your body and you may well miss the signs of stress, the pain that is a warning signal, the needs that are healthy to address, not weak or lazy or self-indulgent to attend to. Shut down your emotional life and you are also likely to shut down attention to the emotions of others and In the wake, relationships suffer. Often we're only woken out of such shut-downness when we get a pink slip that says we haven't been paying attention to the emotions and needs of our co-workers or divorce papers or get a terrifying call from a school counselor about our child. Shutting down to body, to our emotions, and therefore to others and theirs is never good. We know that. And shutting down to the parts of ourselves, however you yourself name them, spirit, soul, deeper knowing, that's no less dangerous. Depression can be the emotional fever that the body sends, the mind sends, the heart sends when there's that voice inside us, I think, that has yearnings for deeper meaning that's been locked out of the conversation for too long. Despair, I know from personal experience, is the signal flare our spirit sends when it wants our undeniable, inescapable attention for change. Awaken to life and the opposite is true then. Do you remember the story of when the Buddha started to wander around India. Shortly after his enlightenment, he encountered several people who recognized him as a very extraordinary being. They asked him, Are you a god? No, he replied. Are you the reincarnation of a god? No, he replied. Are you a wizard then? No. Well, are you a man? No. So what are you? They asked, perplexed. The Buddha simply replied, I am awake. Buddha meaning the awakened one. And how to awaken was a foundational piece of what he came back to teach. Mindfulness is powerful in part as a practice because it tries to help us find ways to stay awake, fully present, and add attention at the steering wheel of our own lives. I think Audre Lorde and Adrienne Marie Brown would say pleasure is similar. Pleasure not merely sensations or sensual good feelings, but a deep attention to feeling and experience that connects us to body and to the bodies of others, to our emotions and to the emotions of others. And spirit, spirit connects us to aliveness and to that sense of satisfaction that Lord and Brown write about this connection to a life force and an excellence of a radical kind. And why radical? Because precisely, it is not the kind that asks us or accepts us shutting down. Not to earn more or to endure more, but it demands instead that You and I hold what we do, and who and what we choose, and how we work to stand in a larger framework of joy and creative life, and ask that life by its very nature not abide oppressions and exploitations and all the things that are killing us inside and out that are not satisfying or pleasurable. And that life, of course, I mean, how appropriate is it at the end of the week we have just walked through, rolled through, that life would not find war for ter- territorial expansion acceptable. A life lived in that framework would not abide by nuclear alert. A life by that standard would not kneel on another person's neck for a moment, nor stand by and allow such kneeling. To that end, both Lord and Brown ask, as part of their exploration of this dive into the erotic, into a connection to what is pleasurable, they ask again and again, who benefits from oppression? Who profits on or holds power when we shut down and we don't speak up, or lean back into one another's lives, or love, or feel, or believe in better. Who are the ones that want humans and women and people of marginalized identity always to feel that pleasure, their own life force and connection to it is suspect because no one who believes in wholeness or life in abundance would ask for such self-abnegation and abuse. Pleasure activism, in that sense, takes us to this place of a kind of revolution. No, takes us to revolution. It's an interesting argument, isn't it? It's not what I was expecting, but it's interesting. And as a side benefit, it does mean that our activism, by the way, would also be embedded in a framework that insisted on making it pleasurable and joyful and irresistible, as Brown says. But that's because everything we do would be fed and held in that framework. I actually think this argument has traction, even as I'm not 100% sure at all of what it would mean to live it but I find it deeply, intellectually appealing, and there is something in me that resonates with what they're getting at. So I invite you into the experiment I have been stepping into. It's a fun one as they go. It doesn't involve horsehair shirts, for instance. (laughs) I invite you to start paying attention to pleasure and think about, as Carmen did, your relationship to it. What were you taught explicitly or just by example and the reactions of those who raised you or by society about pleasure? Start paying attention. Pay attention to what gives you pleasure and think please broadly because actually Brown and Lord, as you saw, think broadly too. An hour in the sun reading a book, even though there are dishes in the sink, a midday movie with popcorn and hot chocolate, a nap every day, phone off if you can manage it, your favorite fruit, morning lovemaking, all of it. Ask what gives you pleasure. And then give yourself permission to enjoy what you enjoy. Let the soft animal of your body love what it loves, as long as it's not abusive of earth or of others, that it's consensual, of course. Pay attention then to what you feel and think as you step and lean into it. Get curious about your reactions. Where do they come from if you resist at all or when you don't? Who benefits if you start to awaken more deeply to what you feel and need and want? Who's hurt? And then watch what happens, please, as you start to attend to yourself ever more in this way. What happens? What do you think about or feel? What's your energy like? Are you surprised when the world doesn't collapse and you honor your obligations? Maybe you have more energy to serve the world, or some small piece of it, like the person right in front of you, or all of them as they parade through your day, one caring interaction at a time. Maybe you become less tolerant of some things you started to think were necessary or normal, and if so, what things? And what things do you wake to? What happens when you become a pleasure activist as Adrian Marie Brown says? Please write and tell me I think she's on to something. I think they are. I think Lord was on to something. I think It is one of the threads that can unwind the interconnections of some of what is binding us and killing us and reconnect us in a web of life-giving, creative, sustaining life. And how lovely would it be if this were true, that pleasure, deep joy and connection, could save us may it be so amen
3: we come from the fire living in the fire go back to the fire turn the world around we come from the water living the water, go back to the water, turn the world around, we come from the mountain, living in the mountain, go back to the mountain, turn the world around,
1: a preview after the benediction we will end with a postlude that is also of our previous, a previous Big Music Sunday, and a little preview because we're planning our next Big Music Sunday in April, so something else to look forward to. And now, in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace for this is the day we are given let us rejoice and be glad in it amen